Is It Transphobic? will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic? will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Is It Transphobic podcast. My name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. And I am the creator and producer of the Is It Transphobic podcast. I said that twice. That's okay. That, that's okay. Today I'm being joined by... <laughs> I'm Rachel Weekly. Um, I'm a performer. I write my own work. Uh, I use they, them pronouns. And I'm a regular uh, member of SCAL. I go now. Sorry. Yeah, you got uh, it. <laughs> I am Aubrey Kleindens. I am a professional clown and puppeteer based in New York City. I use they, them, she, her pronouns, or really just kind of whatever comes out your mouth when you look at me. I'm one of those. And uh, I have an MFA in physical theater, uh, which is part of what qualifies me to be here today, I think. <laughs> Yay. So, yeah. So in case you're in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Is It Transphobic podcast. I'm going to say that as many times as possible now. Uh, What? This is uh, is Boo Ha Ha, where a series of comedians talk about horror movies. No. uh, Is that a real podcast? Yes, actually, one of the one of the people Rachel and I were were with uh, her podcast is Boohaha. So Boo-ha-ha. I mean, free advertisements to Boohaha. Uh, <laughs> but... I have some puppeteer musician friends who have a podcast called The Bog House, where they talk about all the antiques they've dug out of the privies that they accidentally bought when they bought a theater. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing! <laughs> they've gotten so into seventeenth and eighteenth century ceramics. Because <laughs> they're in Philly and they're just digging like redware and horse jaw bones and oyster shells because that's what you used as toilet paper back then and all Ooh. manner of goodies out of their privy. <laughs> and then they then they record a podcast about it and there's murder and mystery and horse jaw bones, really big jaw bones. They do a really big jaw bones. <laughs> Oh. Horse Jawbones is a podcast. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, okay, yeah. So, to, so to actually state the the, uh, the the title of the episode, uh, we're we're talking about whether clowns have gender, uh, and I'll just give a little quick thing. I I remember I saw a short piece, and it had it dealt with a, a clown being hired by someone for adult reasons. Uh, and ultimately, like, I remember hearing to me, like, this is weird, like, just this, <laughs> I didn't prep either of my guests for this. I'm just saying, like, this is like the first time I had heard the phrase, clowns have no gender. And so uh, it just, it was one of those things, like, it struck me from that piece. And I was like, oh, okay, that's like, yeah, that's, that's actually kind of a cool concept. Clowns don't have a gender. And then I think I was talking with you, Rachel, and we were talking about that being actually, a thing within the clown community, this concept that clowns don't have a gender. 
And I, I just never heard that. I had never heard that as a, as a thing, especially because when I see a clown, usually like in my head, there's a sort of like masculine coding to clowns, unless they are specifically doing like a grandma trope or they're doing like a very like femme addition. <laughs> and we're getting some amazing face work from Aubrey. Thank you, Aubrey. Aubrey. <laughs> I, I just wonder like, what have you, when you hear about like, like when you got into clowning, was this something that you thought of? Was this something that you had heard of? Like just, uh, yeah. Just roll, roll with that terrible question that didn't have an ending. Nah, that's like the, the crux Great of it. Mm-hmm. No, I, it particularly made my skin crawl um, because mm. when I first, it's, it has changed. It definitely has changed. But when I first got into clowning, I wasn't considered for like anything I applied to because either they specified clown male or they didn't specify, but like, you could tell they wanted a penis. They yeah, didn't know why, but they were like, yeah, the performers got to at least really look like they have a penis. Um, <laughs> and it, hmm. I'm sorry, is this a family podcast? Should I? No, you can, you can absolutely, <laughs> you can absolutely swear you can talk about like, I will, the only thing I will say, especially for, for listeners of, of the podcast, uh, like we're, we're stating specifically this idea of uh, the cis mentality of male equals having a penis mm-hmm. uh, from the, from the perspective of these people that are potentially looking to employ you type of like more like to clarify, right? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That mentality was, it's like, I have to be able to look at that person and just know that they are male. Um, there can't be any question because, you know, I would send, it didn't matter that I would send, you know, character rap sheets of me playing men or, um, this was like 10 years ago. So like, I, I'm still technically, I think a baby gay. I'm a toddler gay now. Um, (laughs) and so Mm -hmm. I, you know, there wasn't unless you were like strict transgender, like you were going male to female, female to male, there wasn't really words for what I am or what we are. And so I didn't, I couldn't even say like, I don't identify as female really. Um, And so it, I just like never got called in for anything. And it was, so frustrating because like I knew I would have like the exact skills they were looking for the exact character rap sheets like everything and just wouldn't get any work because clowns are men and so that it was really discouraging starting out because like I'd gone through all of my training with people being like oh my god you're a clown you're such a clown look at you clown and like I even did an undergraduate this was still um, coming out of undergraduate so I'd even done an undergraduate semester in Commedia dell'arte which is a style of half mask Italian clowning and I was really really good at it and I I did really well in that class and my natural character pairing was a male clown called Pulcinella and it wasn't a male clown but I play it female because I have a female body I just meshed well with the character in general it kind of didn't matter that you could maybe kind of see that I had breasts but also like a really fat stomach uh you know so like Hmm. it there is where it first started to feel like yeah but it's not a thing like my body has a sex 
my body has a, a very visible uh, like gender presentation. But when I'm on stage and when I'm performing, it doesn't really matter. This is also kind of why I fell into puppetry because like then it literally doesn't matter. Like, though there is still, oh, puppeteers are also men. Um, There is still a lot of gender bias that we're working through in that community, which it's just so contradictory because, you know, they'll say like, because it's a puppet, it can be anyone. But then there's still the same politics of like, but the men have the right arm length and the right this and the right that. And yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I like I've learned to just yeah. like when I meet people brag about how long my arms are, it's become a thing because I do have <laughs> naturally long arms. Huh. Weird flex. Like, okay. I'm like five foot four ish, <laughs> but I have a, like a five foot seven wingspan. Hmm. So like it's kind of funny because my partner, yeah. he's like five foot seven, but he's got like a five foot four wingspan. We're we're absolutely yin and yang. So it's like he can see things on the top shelf and then I reach them. <laughs> see, like that's the thing that translated to me that translated to you give the perfect high fives because it's just like, oh, same, like same no, Z's right here. If but he no, and I okay. Stand, yeah. Like facing each other and lift our arms up. Here, I'll give you guys here on the video mm-hmm. a visual. I can wrap my fingertips around Amazing. his. Because his arms just don't reach as high. Amazing. It's, it's really quite funny. He's probably sitting in the other room hearing all this right now and is like, yeah, I'm used to I'm used to them telling that story. It's like, yeah. You don't need to tell people on a podcast. And now Come on. I don't know. I have I, short I, arms. <laughs> Uh, sorry what was the question yeah. <laughs> no, I, I know. we were talking about uh mail coding <laughs> it was more I'm of a call sorry. to respond than a question so, to be fair just to say when i got started um yeah. that was kind of i was immediately met with that adversity of like clowns are male and i could only ever apply for a clown role if they specified female clown and so actually when I first got into the field, it, in the venues I was looking at, it was very gendered. Um, and even nowadays uh, you run into that, though it's, it's far less. I'll let Rachel talk about their experience now. Um, <laughs> well, I, one of the things that struck me, um, because I, like I started out doing like a commedia workshop in undergrad and just sort of got hooked and like would dabble in it on the side, but I didn't truly seriously take it up until um, I came to the city about six years ago. And so much of it, I so much of a lot of clown has the same pitfalls as a lot of comedy does. You know, that, that opinion that like, women aren't funny and that there are like gendered jokes like very much still holds in a lot of the clown community like they there is still a lot of people who think that way and that um and that neutral and what we consider as not being gendered is still mask coded Hmm. you know if you have any sort of non-masculine qualities 
it is it is othering to what like a neutral of a clown looks like um and that that was a big struggle for me personally because i i physically kind of read either way like people don't quite know what to do with me so then i'd i'd get up and try to play like a super femme clown and there are like there's this wonderful um interview on howl round with a bunch of female clowns talking about how they approach their gender and clowning and like whether you're leaning into like the super feminine or whether you're not or whether it's just themselves like what how they're playing with the gender in that and i i reminded me of how many times like i tried to do that and it was not successful because i didn't read that way so it, it's like i had someone else's pants on while they're wearing them. which was much less funny <laughs> than it actually is um, i was gonna say that sounds like a clown thing to do is just right? wear someone else's pants but like while you're wearing them <laughs> yes um <laughs> But mm. but they're someone else's pants, but everyone thinks they should be my pants. So then mm. there's just this like disconnect. And the same thing happened when I would try to play more masculine clowns. Um, there was sort of a a disconnect between how what I was playing and how I was being perceived. And um, one of the things a lot of clowns talk about is like, if you have to think about the joke, like if you have to work through it, it's not gonna be funny most of the time because you've had to do too much work. So if, you, if you're spending all your mental energy trying to figure out what gender category you're gonna put the performer in, a lot of times the gender-based jokes don't work. Hmm. Yeah, I, I ran into that in grad school even, which was so frustrating because th there I was in a group of other people learning clown who also did have already a clown background. And I was in this clown trio where the prompt was, you walk in and you find your partner cheating on you with another clown. And how do you react? And my partner was a male clown and he was cheating with a female clown and then I came in and uh our clown teacher was very particular in grad school and he even picked out all of our costumes what we wore and everything and for reasons that will probably come up later I my clown was the only clown that was female bodied but put in male clothing in a suit all of the other female-bodied clowns were in dresses or very feminine wear. And all of the male-bodied clowns were in variations on suits, really. So I was in variation on suit, but was very, I, I'm very obviously female body. It's just like, I have a chest, I've got hips. Uh, you know, I really relate to what Rachel was saying in that when I first started acting, I am kind of small, but curvy, very feminine looking and, uh, so people would always want to cast me in these like really feminine ingenue roles and then it would just not work. I just, I don't play that well at all. And then by chance they'd be like, fine, read Hamlet or do this boy role or something like that. And then they'd be like, well, dang, that's yes, but 
you look wrong. <laughs> so I never ended up getting anything I could play well because I didn't look right. I either play like uh, uh, old ladies or men and or teenage boys occasionally. I play those three characters very well, but I don't look like any of them. So I, I break a lot of people's brains. Um, but so we were trying to work out this clown skit of the cheating clown and how do I react? And um, my female clown partner got incredibly frustrated with me and looked me dead in the face and went, what are you? Are you male or female? What kind of clown are you? And my immediate reaction was just to look at her and shrug. Like it hadn't even occurred to me that that would be a problem for anyone. Because for me, I was just like, I look right. I never thought, mm. oh good, I'm a girl clown or oh good, I'm a boy clown. I just was like, yep, there's my clown. And my clown teacher did the same thing. Like, yep, there's my clown. And she was just so angry with me that I actually went and bothered asking my clown teacher. I was like, did you see me as a male clown or a female clown? And he went, oh, you are such a, because he's Italian slash Brazilian. He's like, oh, you are such a beautiful woman. Mm. And I was like, that's great. I asked about the clown. <laughs> 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 I, i'm sorry just like out of context i am in love with that response like i'm sorry i asked about the clown yeah. like thank you for the affirmation that i don't necessarily need like i'm glad you see me as a beautiful woman and like because he was trying to be encouraging and not i think not break my gender identity so i think he was being very like oh you are so beautiful you are such a beautiful woman um so, yeah, there's a lot of hand motions going on here because he was Brazilian but had lived in Italy for like 30 years. So he had both of those Latin cultures going on. And um, yeah, his name is Andre Kasaka. Some more plugging there. One of the most brilliant clowns I've ever seen and ever worked with. Uh, he was our, our clown, our red nose clown teacher specifically. And um, there's... Wait, what is, sorry, for, because I, I would like to know, but also I feel like our, our audience probably might not know the different, uh, I almost said flavors, different genres I mean, of clowns. there's flavors. Rachel the clowns. and I together did a piece where there was some licking going on and we had to share a tortilla chip it and it was interesting. It, it, it broke one of my rules because I'm a total germaphobe and I don't like to eat on stage, but the, the, it just made so much sense that we had to, yeah, we had to figure out how to eat a tortilla chip on stage that would make me not immediately reject. So there's so many different types of clowning that that's a whole separate podcast. But the quick rundown I can give of a few things that Rachel and I have touched on are when I say the word clown, most people will think of red nose clown which is, yeah, kind of the, the typical circus clown. Most wear a red nose, but not all of them do. And when I say typical circus clown, it's, mm. that's a very difficult thing also because what we think of as a circus clown in America is different than what is a true of the roots traditional circus clown from Europe, which is a little more in line of what Rachel and I actually practice more professionally though we have done other things but that's what red nose clown is that's that family 
branched off from that family are then the clowns that don't wear noses. So that's where you get like the Marx Brothers, who are definite vaudevillian clowns, um, but they never wear noses. Um, or someone like Bill Irwin, who is, um, I believe he's Barnum and Bailey trained, or no, or Ringling Brothers trained. He went to one of the like very famous clown colleges when they existed. Um, but he never wears a red nose, but you watch him work and it's like, yes, this is clown. Um, yeah, that's, it's the soul, the soul of a red, red nose, nose. or um, yeah. with his partner, it's like the soul of the, the white nose versus the red nose. Cause there's also the white face clown, which is one of the antagonists to the red nose clown. All of this comes out of Commedia, which is going a little further back, which is an Italian um, based style of clowning that both Rachel and I have also studied. Uh, which relies heavily on caricature and stereotype um, in very offensive ways. I would like to say in as least offensive a way as possible, but no, it was intended to be offensive, um, but it was a theater of punching up. So it was intended to be offensive, but not hmm. necessarily to the people who were watching it. Um but it did rely very heavily mm. on these stereotypes. And we still use those same old stereotypes because it's a lot better than trying to make new ones and being very offensive nowadays. Uh, but you study Commedia to more learn the structure mm. and the literally the flavor of it, because then you move on to like literally any sitcom, you can break down into a Commedia structure. It's that there are these very particular character types. They interact mm. in very particular ways. There's certain shticks you will see over and over again. And, you know, like Urkel's, did I do that, is, a, is like a Commedia-based shtick. You see it thousands of times, and it's hilarious no matter how he ends up doing it. You know, so it, you, this is how you would see it more in modern day, is the, the sitcom type of clowning is Commedia. I think... I think that might be a good primer on clowns. Mm. Rachel, please feel free to chime in. But like, I don't, I, I'm, I'm afraid to go too more further in depth. Yep, that's words that I strung together. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's generally the, the sort of arc of especially Western clowning. Um, there's mm. all sorts of like, it's not called clown, but there's a lot of like, the strictly comedic characters that come from like there's a the name's escaping me right now but it's a variation on like no theater that has clowns uh, yeah and um it's I, one of the th interesting things to me about doing research and looking at it is how much um lots of communities and lots of cultures go towards stock characters and using these sort of generalized ideas about people to play in that into them for the comedy and to sort of stretch our understanding of them. Um, Cause one of the, uh, one of the hallmarks of Commedia was that like the clever characters like tended to be the servants. Um, and that was one of the ways they sort of, they played against type. And I think that is where, that is one of the reasons why, even though there is so much gendering in a lot of clown, that I come to it. That it's, 
so so many people seem to find it freeing in that sense because what a clown's supposed to do is they're supposed to find sort of our parameters and play with them and how do we break them and how do we push them and is this a real thing like if you look at all of Shakespeare's clowns um they tend to they tend to punch up they tend to question the structure of things um and I think that's why we're seeing um a lot of playing around gender in clowning because it's something we're becoming more aware of um at least in our culture and it's it's really interesting to see some stuff people are doing with it right now um yeah yeah no yeah yeah no i just i I, i'm thinking about um especially this the the moment that you shared aubrey about uh this like someone getting pretty much in your face and being like what are you what are you like it it feels very much like but i i've definitely like i don't i don't want to say i've had that happen to me specifically but like you know like especially like as a trans person who's been out for uh, at this point more than a decade i think oh i don't like being old anyway um <laughs> but like uh you know like you you get that quite a bit uh when you don't have people immediately already telling you exactly who you are even though that's they, they don't know you um and i don't know like i wonder especially with clown like are there a lot of classical clown types that are female characters or is it like literally just clowns are viewed very strictly as masculine and have been for a while but i guess we created female clowns out of a certain point both both things are true there there are a few um so in italy um, where Commedia is based, women weren't banned from stage or theater. So, it you know, there's like, of course, Shakespeare had like the nurse and female clowns, but they were all played by men. So kind of a moot point. We don't have to talk about Shakespeare. He gets enough press. Um, in Italy, women weren't banned from the stage. And in fact, if you could have a woman in your Commedia troupe, oh, thank goodness, those boobs are going to bring money. Like, yes. <laughs> they sexual like they they usually were the pe like the callers they would get all the people to come to the stage because yeah th their literal female bodies would draw people that or um their singing um so they were prized for their generally feminine traits but also the women in commedia troops were some of the smartest women around because they had to they had to read they had to know so much about popular culture and current goings on in order to be part of the commedia troupe like to be a, a a comedic actor both then and now you have to know so much more than someone who necessary who does dramatic acting because there's so much you need to be able to to play with very quickly so these women were brilliant they were scholars pretty much and so they definitely had their place in the commedia company but it was a very feminine place they were lovers or the female servant of a lover. These are really the only two female clown characters you saw. And the lovers were just very dramatically feminine. And then the female servants were uh, very weepy or very giggly and always uh, full of boobs or getting their skirts accidentally lifted. Very sexualized 
these were really the only female clown types. And that's kind of carried through to today. Um, a lot of the times yeah. when you're looking at any farce, you know, written in the, even in the 21st century, these are the female clown characters that you end up seeing. Later, a very modern invention to Commedia, and this is another character that has now permeated the kind of scene, is the witch, the strega. So this is a, a magical female character. They usually do have magic powers, or they claim to. Um, and this gives a home to both old ladies or single women. And you'll see this in the like modern day stereotype is like the goth girl who like can't be bothered and can like hex you with a look. Um, or, or yeah, the little old lady who's Ooh. like feeding you cookies and you're not sure if you should eat them. Uh, this is the other kind mm. of female character that has cropped up but this is definitely a recent invention even though you'll see this character inserted into older comedies now they they weren't originally there mm. if they were there they were again male because only men could be doctors or magicians um so <laughs> sorry I, just, I i i get that especially for the period that was probably it makes perfect sense at the same time for me. It's like only men can be doctors or magicians. And it's just like, oh, oh, magicians. Those are <laughs> that's, all you, that's all you got. Or magicians. Because in the time, a doctor was a magician, pretty much. Um, <laughs> pretty much. Ghosts in your blood. <laughs> Demons, priests were also. Take some cocaine to get them out. Priests yeah. are also in this category. <laughs> However, in Italy. You will notice that in all of the comedies, the church is never touched because that is the one thing that could get you killed. Um, so you, uh, there are no religious characters in Commedia. It's two reasons. Like one, the church could get you killed um, as much as it's a theater of punching up. And two, it, like people got enough of that in the, the rest of their lives. Commedia was meant to be kind of like none of that this is about real life not not church life not god life um because it was the renaissance and people were moving hardcore away from my whole life is church life so to to tie it again to to kind of like the what what we're talking what i what oh, i wanted to talk about initially like as i'm loving i'm loving no i'm loving this i am loving this no apologies at the same time i'm just like just to kind of like fine-tune like so at what point because it seems like most of the classical style of uh comedia as well as a lot of clown were very gendered in a binary sense so do, like do we know where this mentality of quote unquote clowns have no gender comes from the sixties. <laughs> yeah, I think I, it's got to. I love a simple like, answer. Great, <laughs> done. I think it's Moving gotta on. be with like because the times I've seen it most like completely genderless is in like the 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 French like white faced clown mime type but even of shit. That like, took a it... long time to de-gender because that goes back, like you can see even like quote unquote modern examples of that clown, like Grok, who was a clown well into the thirties and forties. Um, he is this French white face clown. He, we're talking about a he. 
even nowadays when yeah. you talk about a typical white faced uh clown getup, your immediate thought goes to uh tailcoats and and like those things that the like dickies that they would wear that you know would pop up and hit you in the face you know this is the this is the white clown yeah. and they just couldn't help but make everything so even if you're playing it genderless <laughs> even if you're a woman doing it there's a temptation to go into that mask look and i think i think this concept that clowns are genderless are like we talked about with the alien script where like it was written sorry this is this is from our last recording yeah. but um the script was written to be genderless but what we consider as like neutral is mm -hmm. actually mask of center um mm -hmm. so i think i think there's a lot of like trying to find out what is actually neutral and who can play neutral and who should play neutral and who would want to i you know and this is like this has nothing to do with clown but like as for years in the service industry the the classic service look is very much at least button up and khakis of some kind could be button up and black pants could be like some combination of that but it's usually like a button-up shirt and you could wear like a feminine button-up shirt but especially on me with my frame with my size it's like i could wear and i did at, at starbucks wear like ruffled shirts and people would still be like oh thank you sir and no matter what like that idea of the yeah like that idea of the standardized that idea of the like it's genderless like no regardless of like the genderless quote-unquote look tends to always be this masculine masculine of center i guess for lack of a better term uh f like it's, framing it's and setup in the social so, contract yeah women are allowed to take on the personality and personas of men because that's that's punching up and also men see themselves as neutral. So when neutrality was being invented, men were playing a large part in that. And they were like, well, if you just look like me, we're neutral. It's the same way that, that white people, I read this fascinating article about how emojis are not neutral because they were made by white people. And so, so many white people are like, I'm just going to pick the yellow emojis because they're neutral. And I say that with a disparaging voice, but like, I was that person. I was like, I'm not going to put a color on my emoji, but the default then is white because white is considered neutral. And so actually I've now like gone through and changed all my emojis to like the porcelain Bianca whiteness, because like, as you guys can see on the video here, I blend in with my walls. I'm really white. Um, and so I, uh, you know, it's, it's that same thing. It's like when neutrality was being conceived of, there was probably a lot more men involved. And so they thought, well, yeah, women can trade up to be men and then they're neutral for men to dress in a feminine manner. It's seen as going down. It's seen as condescending. And so it's, mm -hmm. It, which is why when you try and get men who are playing like a or, or um amab who are playing neutral clowns you can't really you have to be careful you can't put them in a dress a dress is too coded and it'll be like oh they're doing drag clown or they're trying to do a femme clown 
uh, mm. in order for them to be truly kind of neutral, you there's a it's a real strict androgynine line you have to play where you do wear the black shirt with ruffles, but also men's jeans. And you have very long hair and a top hat. I'm actually thinking very specifically of a clown friend of mine. This is his outfit. Um, uh, because he is like beanpole, super mm. like mask presenting, like skinny guy look. But then he's there in this like flamboyant frilly shirt with this top hat, but then his jeans give him this very masculine look. So he was kind of edging towards the neutral, but you you can only be so femme and still be neutral. I, I think it's tricky because we still so often see cis people use the man in a dress as a joke. Yeah. And when you're making choices about how you look and how you present as a clown, the thought is, is that all the choices are supposed to be kind of funny. Like maybe your pants are too big for you and then you got to perpetually fight with your pants or maybe your hat sinks too low and then your character is perpetually running into walls or something. So then if you're, if you are a more masculine presenting person wearing feminine clothing, are you, is, is that the joke or is that how you present? Like it's, it's a hard line to walk and figure out. And I'm, mm. I'm sure some people do. Um, yeah. Yeah, like there's something kind of easy about being AFAB and then I can just put on a suit and people are like, ah, yes, gender neutral clown right there. And I actually don't, it was a very hard line I had to walk when I was making my clown outfit because I didn't want to be a male clown either. You know, some of my pieces are about menstruation or when your boobs come in for the first time. And, you know, because that is the body I have. My body does that. I don't necessarily see that, though, as being my gender. It's just comedy is about the body and that's my body. Um, but... I had to be very specific because I couldn't just wear a suit. And even that first kind of suit that my clown teacher had put me in wasn't a, a men's suit. Um, and so my current clown outfit, I have a, I wear a blazer and it's a pinstripe like boys Catholic school blazer, but I put, uh, it's embellished. I didn't put, my friend made this. It's embellished with a little flower and there's lace on the cuffs and on the pocket. So it's a men's cut blazer. It's way too small for my boobies. But, um, <laughs> which is part of the humor is like, I'm trying to squeeze my femininity into this male construction thing, but I'm going to put lace on it. And then like, mm. I do wear a men's button down, <laughs> but I'm wearing yeah. like, what? I missed that. Sorry, what? Oh, sorry. Yeah. I said, I said, haha, mood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just just get in the mail thing. <laughs> and I think I think that's an instance of like of when it of when it really works. Like when you're not when you're playing with the sort of uh push and pull of how you're perceived versus how you're present. Like one of my favorite one of my favorite things to do, and I've just realized this while we were talking, is my clown loves to have giant pants. Like it wants <laughs> pants that will not stay up unless there's like 
buckles and suspenders and whatnot, but it's the it's the play of of like fitting ourselves into something that doesn't quite work. Yeah, like that's really interesting. My clown um, is has no authority, but but likes to try. um but but wants you wants you to hear what they're saying and so that's why i think my clown is always drawn to a suit because i when i even when i went to clown camp uh with rachel last summer i tried i tried for two hours to find anything better than the clown outfit i had brought with me because i had this huge attic full of all of these really 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 great clothes uh, that were just perfect for clowning and everything I put on, not even me. I known these other clowns for like a day and a half, but not even me. All the other clowns were like, you know, it's, not, it's just not quite right. It's close. It's close. And then I decided just as an experiment, I quietly went back to my cabin and I put my personal clown costume on and I walked in and I showed it to someone and they went, that, that's it. That's your costume. I was like, yes, in fact, it is. <laughs> <laughs> because it, yeah, it's these like feminine pants that are built to accommodate my hips, but it's trying to fit this somewhat masculine form with this obviously feminine thing I have going on. And it, and I wear this funny little pillbox hat that is like it. And I got this idea because my, my clown in Italy wore this little pillbox hat that is like, technically a woman's hat but um no it's very ugly like very mm. ugly and drab and it, it's no one's hat is the issue <laughs> um and so like this is this is kind of how i've gotten close to my clown having no gender is trying to make it there in such conflict that I'm declaring the conflict so that for the audience, it, it doesn't matter. I can then do something masculine and the audience is like, yeah, well, I've already seen that they're going to do something masculine. And then I can do something feminine and the audience is like, well, yeah, obviously, because I mean, look at the boobs trying to hide behind the tiny, teeny, tiny blazer. Um, so that's kind of the way that clowning is genderless is that in the same way that you have to, you can't just say racism doesn't exist anymore and I'm not going to see it. Um, I choose to see neutral only. The only way to get towards a gender neutral clown is to declare to the audience, yeah, don't worry, I see my boobs too. I'm with you. But also, see this. And if they can kind of accept those things happening, which clown allows you to a little bit better than some other mm. theatrical forms. Uh, that's why clown can seem sometimes genderless is because it's allowed to say, yeah, it's both. It doesn't, yeah. clowns don't have to exist within the boundaries. They are encouraged yeah, they, to go outside. They already don't exist within the boundaries. Yeah. That's kind of the, the basis of the clown is that they're this little, this poor little id slash ego. They're like pure ego. They were just kind of dropped here and they have to just work with what they have. So like, if they have boobs, great, they'll work with that. 
But if they don't, okay, I'm just missing them. It's not like, it's not like one is better, one is worse. It's just, you kind of have to declare what's there and then work with it. And so that's why it can seem genderless because it's, I'm declaring all the parts of my personality here and now I'm going to work with them. If you want to be a female clown, I've seen like super sexualized female clowns where it's like Jessica Rabbit. I am declaring how curvy and sexual I am and I'm going to use it. Or super masculine clowns where, you know, there's a couple types of these that we could talk about that are all very offensive, but Rachel really wants to say something. But again, declare it and then you you have it. I mean, there's a huge there's a huge bit of professional wrestling. I feel like I've seen a ton of masculine clowns. Just to throw I was going to say, um, wrestling has a bunch of super mass yes. clowns. Um, <laughs> oh, what's the character's name on uh, on Doom Patrol? Uh, Flex. Oh, Flex, Flex. Uh, Man. No, not Flex Man. Flex, I mean, like a Flex Masters. Flex Masters. Flex, no, that's not Flex it. Yeah, Flex. It's Flex or like M- literally Dave yeah. Bautista sure. in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> what is his name? Yes. It Drax is Drax. Yeah. That's that's a that's a super masculine clown. Like he's sitting there shirtless, muscled out of his mind, yes. and takes everything literally and seriously. Because men are serious. <laughs> yeah. And then I will drag my finger across my throat. And say, like, what attracted you to your wife? She oh, was the only so... one not dancing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I just to, to back up for a second, uh, Rachel, when referring to your clown, you referred to the clown as it. Um, I'm curious, like, because especially like as we're talking about like this idea of gender neutrality, quote unquote, and pronouns, and like. How do you view the clown itself? And do you use it as a pronoun for for the clown? And is that like a a standard thing or is that more just like a personal thing for your clown character? I think think that is um, a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. Like there are, I was, um, one of the interviews I was talking about with HowlRound, there is a older woman who played only male clowns and didn't think this was, um, didn't, I don't think she thought about the implications of gender and how that might be with her gender, but that's fine, whatever. Um, But I think it's a very personal thing. Like people talk about their clowns with all sorts of pronouns. I think one of the reasons I use it and they is because I, um, I mix a lot of like mime stuff into mine. So like I have a piece where I am a goldfish uh, <laughs> that like gets shocked by something in their bowl and it's like, okay, that's fine. And then comes around two minutes later and is shocked again by this thing in their bowl. That's not a cl- that's not a goldfish. That's just a clown right there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it gets to play with the like, I, I think it's, I personally, and when I am in clown mode more than, my soul is just generally in clown mode. Um, I I tend to play with both human characters and non-human characters, and I think that's why I do. But I think pronouns for clowns are the very thing about clown personal. is um, again unlike other characters that you see throughout theater, which are very much so typed. Like 
every character is some kind of type and they have a psychology and a background and clowns are people clowns are just naive people that got thrown up on stage and now have to deal with it and so similar to how all of us have these very complex <laughs> gender identities yeah. and i mean literally every human on the planet even those who are like i am the cisest man that's ever manned um it's it's probably more complex than they just realize or that's pretty complex to be that fully male dave bautista um so mm. and so like clowns are the <laughs> same way they can have the same like one day they're female one day they're male one day they're both one day they're neither um they can they can do that because a human can and a human does and so they they're not oddly enough clowns are not characters the the way to learn how to clown best is to learn how to you best on stage um, because everything on stage is heightened, but not everything that comes on stage is a character. So even if you're playing a historical personage, let's say Alexander Hamilton, you're playing a character, you're playing a type. There's things about him you have to hit in order for people to be like, yep, you're Hamilton, $10 bill guy. When you're a clown, there you don't really have to hit anything. Because like I was saying, there's the type of clown we call red-nosed clowns, but so many of us don't actually wear noses. But you can look at that and be like, that's a clown. And all of that comes down to the way this person is acting on stage. And it's as long as they are following the clown rules and the clown logic, which is just the upside down of the society rule and society logic, they're doing clown. And so, like, Rachel was saying it can get really personal where some people are like, no, this is definitely a female clown. She is like this. She is, she does this. She does that. He does this. He does that. Um, and I think both Rachel and I default to it sometimes, not because we don't see our clown as a person, but it's just a facet of us. Like if I were talking about my weird hair color, I would refer to it as it. You know, even though it's a part of me, it's a human thing, it's still an it. So the clown is almost being, it's like a body part of mine. So I would call it an it as opposed to a them. But if I were writing like a show description, I wouldn't use it for that clown. I would say they or them. Uh, because then I am referring to their their personhood as opposed to that part of me that works a funny way sometimes. Uh so that's why it yeah. can be fuzzy for people pronoun wise mm. i mean for me pronouns are fuzzy things in general like <laughs> i had a great yeah. time where i was teaching and a little kid called me he <laughs> and some of these kids got belligerent in correcting this poor child and i was like no no did you all know that they meant me then we're good let's move mm. on <laughs> like mm -hmm. it it doesn't bother me I, I can be he, I can be she, I can be they, I can be she, I can be z. It, mm. it really doesn't, as long as you're acknowledging that I am a person, we're good. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's because uh, just, to, just to state it to our listeners as well, uh, who maybe aren't as uh, knowledgeable about these things, uh, we don't 
tend to refer to humans as it because it does remove their personhood. Now, that said, there are some trans folks that I have met who do use it. Uh, I am... Uh, it's a thing that I don't fully understand, but it's a thing I don't need to understand. That is what they use. That is what this person uses. And that is what I will refer to it as. At the same time, generally speaking, don't refer to a human as it unless otherwise stated. Um, but yeah, like, and it's very much for like what you're saying when you're talking about this character that you're writing, you're respecting the personhood of the, the character you're writing. Um, <clears throat> whereas like, the clown seems more like the clown is a tool to express that in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I could see that that's why someone would pick it as their pronouns. One, because it's a big fuck you to pronouns and gendering in general. And two, because they, they see that part of them as like their red hair, their big nose, their slopey shoulders it is a part of them, it is an aspect of them, as opposed to their whole personhood. So I can see why, but yeah, in general, big no-no to call someone an it because it immediately equates them with being an object as opposed to an actual human or person. Uh, I have a hard time calling animals it, like because some of them yeah. are definitely people. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's so funny because especially like children, even for a very long time, either when they are young or even just like if we're talking about like decades ago, like even just only decades ago, children were referred to as it until they reached a certain age and then they became a man or a woman. And it was just like, otherwise, it's a child. How is it? Like, <laughs> gender's fucking weird, y'all. Uh, so... yeah, it's pretty simple and straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> what is something that, because we need to start wrapping up, but what is something that you would say to a non-binary, gender non-conforming individual who wants to get into clown now um, that maybe you either wish you had been told while you were getting into it or something that you've seen recently that has really pushed for inclusivity and the ability to uh, be welcoming of TGNC folks in clown? Hmm. It is a big question. That's so good. Big um, question. I'm sorry. I should have prepped you for it. <laughs> uh, kind of like all theater advice, it's a, a stick with it because it's it's a small mm. victories game. Uh, and the small victories are going to add up because, like I said, when I started 10 years ago, no matter how many clown positions I applied to, I never got called in because of my feminine, I assume, you know, they never, they never tell you, but I assume because of my feminine look and self. Mm. And, but recently, last year, mm. um, I saw a posting for a Shakespeare position and they were paring down the show to be less characters because it was a, it's Henry VIII. It's a massive show. And so they, they lumped a bunch of the characters into one as like the prologue old lady, et cetera, clown. And in the casting call, they put an M next to it. And that just made me angry because the two characters that they really listed as like the main characters of that catch-all were the prologue, no gender, and the old lady, 
feminine gender. And then they put an M there. And that kind of bugged me. So I submitted for it. And for the first time ever, I got the audition and was like, oh, yes. Okay, great. I'll probably not get the role, but like, thank God, finally, someone will see me for the, the, the thing that I'm very capable of doing. And I actually ended up landing that role in the end. Uh, men did uh, apply for the role, but so did other women. And I saw that other women had applied for the role. And, um, and so it was just like, mm. it was just so like, oh, thank goodness. And it is a thing of little victories where it's in some cases, because for so long, clown and funny default male, some people just don't think about it when they're putting up those casting things. So if you really feel you're right for a role, pitch your resume, make, make the, the little bit of an argument in your email, because it could just be someone is just literally not thinking and you kind of have to call their attention okay. to it. Um, because yeah, in, in the past 10 years, that is a, a lovely shift I have seen is that I can submit for more things. But the other big thing is don't be afraid to make your own work. Um, and that's something more that I, I see Rachel as being far better at than, than I, because I feel like they have been doing it better more for longer uh, because I, I spent so long trying to be in that acting pool that I'm only recently like, I got to make my own work to be the change I want to see. Um, but yeah, also be the change you want to see. Feel free to make your own work and, and get it out there. There's so many venues, especially in quarantine right now. If this show airs during quarantine, which it probably will because we're stuck in this forever. But um, <laughs> political views aside, there are so many great venues for getting some of your work out there. <laughs> Even in person, you can still like go out to a park and keep people at a distance and do some of your clowny stuff so that's that's my say rachel <laughs> um i think one of the most encouraging things i was told um i i get big imposter syndrome things all the time um one of the best things I was told is when I was having a bout of that, I emailed this guy who I, I don't know if he wanted to be my mentor, if I was just like, you, you're mine. Um, and I decided one day, um, but he's, As we do. Yeah, it, he's very much become like a friend and like the person I email. Um, I emailed him in the middle of our clown camp being like, can I do this? Um, it's really important to find um people who will just like Aww. sit with you through those dips like i think finding a finding community whatever that means to you or in that case is really important because you need people to you need people to workshop you need people to say you need people that you can show the really not funny stuff to who are who can just be like i see i don't get it but I see, um, because then that's when you'll get to the stuff. Um, and the thing my, the mentor that I chose for myself um, told me was, sure, you can go to grad school and there's lots of stuff to be learned and it's 
really good stuff and it's really good training. But what you're actually looking for is not work that's been done before. And that is scary because then there's no, there's no sort of layout for it. I can't hit these three things and like, look, I'm a good clown because I did these three things. Like that doesn't, you don't have a map for that. But then that means there are also no rules. So maybe I do want to make an entire show about being a goldfish. Why not? You know, it is, it is the terrifying and exhilaration of the freedom to make work. And the yeah. freedom, the only thing you have to worry about is whether this is the work that feeds why you became a clown in the first place. Yeah, theater, the, the community thing is really important. Theater is not made in a vacuum. So even me saying like, make your own work. Mm -hmm. It's just like, that's, that's do your own exploring, but like, you have to do it with other people. There's, there's no such thing as a, anyone who's like the brilliant solo performer, they have a team. Like Beyonce is only Beyonce because Beyonce has a literal million people working for her. Like, that's you have to have that that team but also yeah it's you do have to embrace that scary kind of freedom and my plug for pro grad school is it's time that you set aside yeah you're learning about things you learned in the past but it's literal time you have paid to set aside to learn how you do you in all these different ways which will get you closer to learning how just you do you so it's like you might try, like, oh, we, we, did, we did some like throat singing something or other, not my thing. But that's what I learned then was like, I'm never doing anything like that. Or if I have to do it, I have to do it a certain way to account for the fact that I can't really do it. Whereas, you know, I learned Red Nose Clown and that was my thing. And you can go deeper there. So it, it, if you are really struggling to explore on your own, go to that class, go to that grad school it will help you find you, but also know that, yeah, if you're good at exploring on your own, it's not totally necessary. Yeah. So I, so normally in this podcast, we would end the podcast asking, was it enjoyable? Was it transphobic? I feel like that doesn't directly translate to this topic, but um, I, I do want to know how clowning has been during self-isolation, during quarantine. And I might still ask those two questions after just because, like, f fucking why not? But like, <laughs> at the same time, like, how, what are the, what are some of the unique challenges you've had during self-isolation? And like, what are you, how are you working through that? Or are you, is that a thing where this is just a time to get through it and relax and figure out life? Like what? What does this look like for you as a clown? Um, for me, one of the big things about clowns, especially red nose clowns and the type of clowning we do, is you need an audience. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, because you're a clown can only work with what's in front of them. Like if you're trying to make jokes about things that aren't there, it won't quite work because you can't pull in things like if you're telling a, a story or something um so to not have someone to respond to or someone responding to you is like it's 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 like you're working in the dark all of a sudden um 
And I, at the beginning of the quarantine, I was lucky enough to get a chance to do a piece for a virtual theater fest. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Because literally everything I've worked on and created and all the pieces I have, have like audience bits in them. And I, I have this, I don't have an audience. I have a computer, but then that became, if a clown's biggest thing is that they have to address what's right in front of them and there is humor and humanity and failure, then what can I do with that? How can I play with that? How can I address an audience I can't see? And that's been, it's been hard to explore because it, it hits a lot of the things I have anxiety about. Um, but it's also been very freeing. It's been something that's able to help me work through some of the anxiety. On the other hand, I feel like I have been creatively constipated for the past six months. Like that I'll get some ideas occasionally and there's things I want to do, but then I sit on the pot and it's not going, nothing's coming out. Uh, and yeah, creatively constipated is the best, is really the best way to put it. Like it's in there, but it's not moving. Yeah. And no matter how much I'm putting in, still nothing's coming out. So I'm also a little creatively bloated, I guess. Uh, but, um, but it's also, I, I live in New York City and I work in New York City. And so my entire existence is the hustle. And so, so much of my life has to get put on hold for needing to do this hustle. So I've not necessarily been relaxing during quarantine, but I've been like trying to learn how to be. And also like, like working on my apartment and like nesting in my home. So like, I am still doing like, creative things. Like I'm literally sewing curtains for my apartment and I made a wall hanging and, you know, so I'm finding creative outlets, but they're not necessarily performative because yeah, like Rachel was saying, even my puppet work, um, which so much puppet work is done on film. I specifically, I, I prepared for the wrong apocalypse. I specifically stayed away from film because I was like, well, when everything falls apart, I'll at least have my big stack of things I can do in front of people. Ha ha. Uh, <laughs> they're all gone now. I also had that thought at the beginning. I was like, I was so prepared, was so prepared for everything to be in person. Like all these guys with ah. their bunkers who are like, I'm, I was prepared with their guns. Like I was prepared for the apocalypse. It's like, no, yeah. the apocalypse is looking of course, like how we couldn't predict because that's how apocalypse uh, would do. Um, so uh, I've, I've done some like creative man. research. <laughs> and again, like I have been absorbing a lot, but that's kind hmm. of my tactic right now is there's so much to learn and see what other people do. And it's kind of like, quarantine grad school where it's like I kind of need to look at what other people are doing for a while and see how they're doing what they do uh in order to figure it out like I've had two performance opportunities and one I ended up having to drop out of because again 
trying to make myself get on the pot creatively was just giving me creative hernias, which nobody wants. Um, <laughs> like it was literally worse than just being creatively constipated. It was it was blocking things in a way that I might need surgery. I appreciate how thorough. Creative metaphor is fantastic, by the way. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> and so <laughs> I had to pull out of that and- yeah. But there was lessons to be learned in pulling out of that performance. The only other performance I managed to get done was my friend did a, a birthday party for Walt Whitman. And it, I was like, what is the clowniest thing I can do on Zoom with Walt Whitman? <laughs> are, you, are you near Blades of Grass? Like <laughs> and literally all I did was she like switched the camera over to me for a moment and I yawped. I sounded a barbaric yawp from the <laughs> rooftops of Queens. And it honestly, it was like the only point of humor in a lot of the show because it's Walt Whitman and that ish is heavy. And, but yeah, it was like the shortest performance I've ever given. Yeah. And because they even they even introduced it and they're like, Aubrey's gonna do their barbaric yop. And I was like, yeah. Like it just wasn't working while they were looking at me, supposedly. So I had to like it it was like subverting the whole audience thing. It's like I had to actually run off camera to yop properly because I'm not I'm a clown who was being put on camera, which is even worse. So I had to do a run by yopping in order to get the yop to work properly. <laughs> was the the <laughs> shtick in the end but like <laughs> that's like the only clown thing i've done in six months because it's it's just yeah clowns are are built for the other apocalypse mm. and so like thank you bill Irwin, for like doing that right. zoom show and like trying to get out there but like i have yet to really see a super successful piece of quarantine theater the only one I've seen was, oh, I could have killed him. This playwright I know mm. was posting every day about his interactions with this really hot guy at Starbucks. And it was incredible. And I was so invested in their budding relationship. And then at the end of it, he posts an article about how it's been a play the whole time. About what? Oh, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? Um, the Facebook relationship that he kept posting about with him and his Starbucks guy in the Starbucks drive through was a play that he was writing. It was a quarantine themed play played out in a quarantine venue of Facebook posts. It wasn't wow. real. And I felt so cheated because Facebook is supposed to be real life or at least real life adjacent. <laughs> and little did I know I was being taken in by this like incredible piece of theater. And that is the mm. only thing that I've seen that's been like, damn, that's a good use of quarantine theater, like using Facebook to your advantage. Sure, I've seen some mm. great pieces that filmed well, but they they weren't necessarily meant for that. And if they were, I don't see them as quarantine theater. I see them as, oh, mm. that YouTube video that that person put out that's hilarious. Mm. So it's, I mean, we're only six months into this thing and Hopefully it doesn't last too much longer than that, but I think it does need to yeah. last a little longer to get a good cure and maturation on, on what this quarantine theater cheese apparently is going. I work in food outside of clowning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the only good 
piece of quarantine theater I've seen was scowl self-isolation devastation. That to me was the (laughs) (laughs) The pinnacle. (laughs) That's it. We can't get it. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not to say that I haven't seen like some fun things, but a lot of it has been like, it's not, it's not quite there. A lot of it has been like, I'm doing this because I have to, as opposed to like really, digging in and and taking full advantage of uh but also it's like i don't know it's a weird it's a weird thing that i don't quite understand yet which is why i've had such a hard time participating in it Hmm. all right so just to just to ask the questions our stock ending questions clowning is it enjoyable (laughs) Oh yeah, yes. do it. Great, clowning. Is it transphobic? It very can much be. can be. You best be careful. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, like like Rachel and I have said, yeah. you know, it's still a joke to put a guy in a dress. Why is that still a joke? Why is that still a thing? I I swear, every time I see it happen, I'm like, really, still. Like, yeah, I can watch Monty Python and enjoy it, but there's a level to which even Monty Python, the joke wasn't that they were in dresses. It's just they had no... In Monty Python, you truly feel it's they didn't have someone to play a woman because when they got to the point where they needed someone to play a certain kind of woman, they added two women to their cast eventually because they were like, we can't do that right without it being the biggest joke that ever joked. And that's not the point. We're not trying to make fun. So, and that was again, the sixties where they started realizing that. So it's like the fact that still nowadays it'll be like, Baha, he's in a dress. That's transphobic. That's we're so far past that. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got to do a whole episode just on this whole man in a dress trope. Cause I, oh, I have so many feelings, but like, because I want, I want there to be, I want there to be the ability for a man to wear a dress and it to be normalized and okay and fine, and I think that that's like good. It's just yes, there is an inherent thing with society where they see a man in a dress and they assume joke, and it's just like God fucking damn it. Anyway, yeah, that's uh, beside the point. <laughs> but yeah, no, like that's the thing is like it has yeah. been a thing. You can do it as a thing where the joke isn't because he's in a dress. And mm-hmm. it just, it happens so much rarer than the joke is he's in a dress. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the end of the episode. Uh, tell people how to find you on the internet if you want them to. It's totally acceptable to not want people to find you on the internet. <laughs> I have to say that now. Just FYI. <laughs> Don't <Yeah>. find me. <laughs> Don't come looking for me. Please leave me alone. I'm just gonna put like a big like I'm just gonna put like the the censored noise when you say your name in the beginning. It's like and I please bleep me out. (laughs) I mean that part of me was a little nervous because I was like, I'm gonna have to be careful about how I post about this because I'm not out to some very major people in my life. I'll put it that way, family Mm -hmm. mostly. Just because it's just not worth it. I'm sure you guys know this. There's just like certain people where it's just like I just I don't need to bother with that. It's okay if you don't know. <laughs> yeah. So part of me it's was like, like it, it would 
be worth to just have the conversation with this yeah. person type of deal. Yeah. So it's just yeah. like, you know what? You just, you just see me how you're going to see me and we'll move on. Um, but no, please find me on the internet. I'm very bad at the internet though. So the only place I am on the internet is the Facebook, which I guess dates me. But uh, my, I technically, I have an Instagram, but it's mostly just so other people can tag me so that I have a presence. I'm not very good at Instagram because I, I thought when I signed up for Instagram, I could post on Facebook and it would go on Instagram. No, it only works the other way around. You can post on Instagram and it goes on Facebook. Dumb. Yep. So uh, my handle on both of those is at Aubrey Clown Dinst. So my last name, but instead of Klein, it's Clown because I'm lucky to have a German last name that works out like that. Um, you can find me uh, on Instagram at rachel.weekly. Um, I also have a website, uh, www.rachelweekly.com because I did not feel like getting creative <laughs> with my name. Um, but yeah, you can find all my work through there. Um, some of my work through Scal's website as well. I mean, Rachel, you already have <laughs> um, a setup inherent in your name. Like, as long as you made a weekly post, you're Rachel Weekly. Right? If I was that on top of it. <laughs> if only. Well, what if you just make a, a yearly post and you say weekly annually? <laughs> and now this whole podcast yeah. finally knows how I laugh. <laughs> God yeah. always laughs. Oh, I did it. I did it. I didn't even go to clown school, college, camp, whatever. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do anything. Anyway, uh, yeah, you can find me. You can find me on the internet uh, on Twitter at Lucretia Deerfor, L-U-C-R-E-T-I-A-D-E-A-R, and then the number four. You can also find me as a transphobic Twitter at is it transphobic. And I am also terrible at Instagram, but you know what? I started an Instagram for is it transphobic, and I have been posting to it at is it transphobic. Is it transphobic.com is where you can find all of our post past episodes as well as new merch. That's right, you can get t-shirts, hoodies, mugs. We have mugs. I'm looking at socks. We might do socks. Who knows? Tell me you want Are socks you and I'll put them up there. Uh, and finally, say again. Are your t-shirts transphobic? How are they unisex? <laughs> hmm. To the best of my knowledge, no. There are a lot. There are a lot of different options for styles yeah. uh, of the t-shirt. So find the style that you think looks best, and if you hate it, uh, talk to Redbubble. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yes. Uh, and finally, patreon.com slash is a transphobic. You'll be able to get episodes one week before they go out publicly and including interviews with some really awesome trans non-binary as well as some interesting cis folks that are doing really cool things with gender. Uh, we release those one month prior to releasing them publicly to the Patreon. So yeah, you get, a, you get a bunch of stuff. And if you want other things, tell me and I'll figure something out for Patreon. I don't know. I want you to join it. So... <laughs> I will find a way to condense this ending. But yes, thank you so much for joining me, Rachel and Aubrey. <laughs> thank you for having us. Thank you. Yay, and thank you all for listening. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. 
The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com.